Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow, and today we end the mini-series on the Saxons. The Ottonian dynasty comes to an end today. The Leudolfinger, as that dynasty is also known, also ends today. And so does the world. Or maybe not today. I, I mean, I tried to cut it down. What I still wanted to cover about the Leudolfinger, all the Ottos, the rest of the 10th century... But actually, it might be a bit much, and I still might have to split this up. In any case, before we get rid of the Ottonian dynasty, I had better give you some more Ottos. And this, in the next episode, is where we actually define this dynasty and time period in Europe, and what makes it a bit different from what came before and what came after. The surviving son of Otto I, the Great, and Adelaide of Italy was part two of the Otto trilogy, Otto II, sometimes called Otto the Red. And he was already crowned the German king during Otto the Great's lifetime, and Otto the Great died in 973, but we'll back up a second to look at young Otto II, because he was crowned king in 961, so like 20 years before that, when he was only six years old. That makes it like 12 years where he co-ruled. And two years before his father's death, Otto Jr. was crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Otto I arranged for his education. Now his illegitimate son, the Archbishop of Mainz, and also by the Markgrave of the Eastern March. And he also got married before his father died. Otto Sr. made this a priority also. As mentioned in the last episode, Otto Sr. arranged for his son to marry a Byzantine princess to deal with the fact that the Byzantines didn't like the fact that a German king was calling himself Emperor of the Romans in Rome, when clearly that was the Byzantine emperor who was the real Emperor of the Romans. And so, at first, we get a reference by the Pope to Emperor Nikophoros II, but he titles it to the Emperor of the Greeks in a letter, which killed the talks because, remember, Nikephoros considers himself the Roman emperor. So does Otto. So that, that, was kind of, that was kind of an issue there. Then they titled it, they addressed the letter to the Roman emperor, and he accepted. So you see how these titles do actually matter? Uh, anyway, so the Byzantine emperor, John I of the Zemitz family, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, chose his niece, Teofanu who was this soldier emperor's niece. She was the niece by marriage, so not actually imperial blood at all. But let's not ruin the party. This princess was only 12 years old when she was married to the 16-year-old Otto II, Otto Jr., and was then crowned empress. According to the Saxon chronicler Bishop Tietmar of Merseburg, who is like a really important uh, source at this point, so I want, to have, I want to have mentioned his name at least once so people can go look him up 
Yeah, uh, the Saxons actually wanted Anna Porphyrogenita, if that's not totally butchered, um, who was a daughter of the late Emperor Romanos II. In any case, when Teofano was brought to Rome, Emperor Otto knew that it was this or nothing, like it would have been really rude to refuse the offer. And yeah, so we have we have this huge parade, this huge pomp when she comes in. She had a magnificent escort, including like Byzantine artists and architects and and uh, valuable items from Constantinople, gold and silver and other objects. Like it was a Byzantine princess, even though, yeah, I mean, niece of the whatever she she counted. She was she had all the pomp to prove it. They get married. Otto the first dies the next year. Now, if you remember from the last episode, <laughs> Teofanu's mother-in-law, uh, Adelaide of Italy, was quite the personality. Uh, now, this is Otto Jr.'s mother, right? Her and Teofanu did not quite get along. Eventually, Otto II kind of distanced himself from his own mother a bit because of this, this bad blood between the two. And now, according to the chroniclers, Teofanu had a few decadent habits that the down-to-earth Saxons did not approve of. Teofanu namely bathed every day and was a snazzy dresser. Now, she's credited with introducing the fork to, uh, to the Frankish Empire or the Saxons and therefore Western Europe altogether. They mentioned a quote when she used a golden double prong to bring food to her mouth instead of using her hands as was the norm. And when people are kind of throwing dirt and saying she's decadent or this or that, there's another historical rumor to bring up when you want to cause drama, and that is that uh, the theologian Peter Damien claims that Teofano had a love affair with a Greek monk who briefly reigned as Antipope John XVI. And another monk said she was unpleasant and talkative. In any case, whatever people said about her, the fact was is that she was crowned co-imperatrix Augusta, and therefore, she was the first real empress crowned in Europe. According to an abbot, Adelaide was very happy when <laughs> that Greek woman died. But hold on, that's jumping ahead. Theophanu is a fascinating character in German history, so we'll move on from all the smack talk against her. Probably just a little pushback from her Greek ways and orthodox uh, like beliefs instead of, you know, the Catholic religion, just to kind of put all that in context. So back to Otto II. Otto I had just died, and for the first time, Otto II sat on the throne as the sole ruler. He was only 18 at this time, but he had no pesky siblings. And he pushes out his borders in all direction, kind of, but then also slowly loses control that Otto the Great had previously gained. But not all. And he only reigned for 10 years. So given that, he actually, like we're gonna, we're about to see, he did, he did, he lived through at interesting times, let's say. And remember, he'd already you know, started his reign as sub-king like 10 years prior. So in a way, he ruled for 20 years. And after Otto the Great's death, all the nobles of the empire assembled and elected him the successor. And a few years later, he already had to put down his first real revolt. A pope was murdered, Pope Benedict VI in 974, when Otto II sent an imperial representative to get the pope released, he was murdered while still in prison to make this not happen, basically. And I do want to break down this anti-pope thing and the whole role of German kings and popes, but not here. There's something far cooler I want to bring up, that'll be a different episode, namely Harold Bluetooth. 
like where we get the name for the Bluetooth, like wireless technology, that that whole thing. And the logo is just this, his monogram of the runic characters of the Danish king, like B and T or I don't know, whatever. Uh, Otto II, he had to fight some wars against the Danes and Norwegians because previously Harold Bluetooth had recognized the authority of Otto and had even converted to Christianity and paid tribute. But since then, he'd spread his realm into Norway, gotten pretty powerful. And now who was this little upstart young 18-year-old who was trying to get the same privileges that his father had earned? Bluetooth was having none of it. And nothing makes that as clear as a good old invasion. And with the also quite famous uh, Jarl Hakon, he got all the way to the Danaverk in the south. The Danaverk's awesome. He started building and the Saxons marched north. Danaverk in German, We'll probably cover this another time. Maybe I'll I'll get Soren from uh, the History of Denmark podcast on the show. We'll we'll have to see about that. Travis. What the? But anyways, basically what happened was the Danes just left in the fall, and then the da- the Saxons did okay. There was a really famous compromise, which you know the, the 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 end peaceful result was that a door was made in this frame, this huge fortification work, the Danewerk, and this way the emperor could enter the Danish kingdom when he likes. Good. Okay, so that takes care of the northern border. Now what about the south? Because Ottonian fortresses in Italy were being destroyed while this happened, and there wasn't any time to take care of that yet because. Otto also had beef with one of his Saxon cousins, Henry of Bavaria. Heinrich der Zenker in German, which is great because it's like the the quarrelsome is how it's sometimes translated. Uh, it's Henry the Troublemaker. Uh, that, that's what he went down in history as. is like the guy that's just causing beef. And we'll see why. Um, this is, yeah, so there's some neat stories here. <laughs> so they're cousins through Henry I, and he had to cut a couple of co-conspirators, including like Boleslav of Bohemia and Mieszko of, of Poland. And troublesome Henry had installed another Henry as an archbishop somewhere. The, the, the death of Bishop Ulrich of Augsburg a year or two prior brought the conflict between these cousins to a head, because without consulting Otto, the king, the emperor, Henry II, the, the Tenka, the troublemaker, of Henry II of Bavaria, not the Saxon whatever. Uh, anyways, put his cousin Henry as the new Bishop of Augsburg. Now, Augsburg was located on the western side of the Swabian-Bavarian border. This was not his own territory. This was Buchard III, Duke of Swabia's territory. So he, by him appointing a bishop in somebody else's territory, brought him in conflict with Buchard and Otto. And Otto here caves. He invests um, Henry as bishop. But when Otto installed his half-brother as Duke of Swabia instead of Henry II of Bavaria, all sorts of Henrys got really mad. We get, in fact, we get the War of the Three Henrys from 977 to 978. Otto was doing these reforms uh, in Regensburg, and he was kind of redrawing the maps of who gets what and, you know, trying to make things more efficient. And he was making Bavaria about a third smaller. He was making the Duchy of Canton, which is now Canton and Austria. 976, in a way, marks the birth of Austria. 
Um, now, that's a whole different story because, of course, there's going to be an Austrian miniseries at some point. So when I mention Otto II in the miniseries about Austria, you'll know, if you pay attention now, you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah, awesome. So the Bavarian Henry, uh, the troublemaker, didn't like this because he was losing territory off to the east. He was losing territory in, in what is today Italy. And so Henry rebels and we get the War of the Three Henrys. And we get these great, like, the, the conspirators have names like, oh, okay, there's Gunther of Merseburg, that's not that great. But we get Egbert the One-Eyed, that's that's better. Um, Otto has to come in and lay siege to Regensburg, Henry II's stronghold. And Otto II's army eventually broke breaks through the city defenses, and Henry II, Henry the Troublemaker, flees to Bohemia. Other rebels in Passau, which is also in Bavaria, um, finally submitted after a very long siege. And when everything was said and done, well, not everything yet, but uh, when the war was over, Boleslas was treated with honors. Now, he's the bo Bohemian king. Swore loyalty. They all met in Kredlenburg. All of the troublemakers, all of the rebels, everybody, uh, after the peace was, was kind of signed, they were all t told to show up and await their consequences, basically. Mieszko of Poland submitted to Otto's overlordship. Henry the Troublemaker was imprisoned for the rest of Otto's life. I'll, I'll get back to that. But um, he was made a prisoner of the Bishop Volkmar in Utrecht, which is uh, today a Dutch city. And he stayed put there for like another five years. And now another part of this, the result of this peace was that Regensburg had to lose some power. And this could be a crossover with Bohemian at some point. We've mentioned these characters there, which the Bishopric of Prague gets founded. Otto III both have like interesting tales with uh, even saints like Adalbert. But yeah, I don't want to jump ahead. Uh, but the Bishopric of, of Prague gets founded, taking it away from Regensburg and making it subordinate to Mainz. That, those kind of political uh, things to make Bavaria less powerful. Again, Otto does this reform where he appoints people that are loyal to him and his closer relatives to these important positions and kind of uh, shores up his reign. Bavaria becomes weaker. Italy becomes a little more independent. He breaks off the March of Verona, for instance. And the rump state of Bavaria, with troublesome Henry out of the way, he gives it to his half-cousin, whatever, Otto, who had earlier made Duke of Swabia. So Swabia and this rump state of Bavaria are under the same duke. And yeah, so, I mean, it, it could be noted at this point that Otto II was less forgiving than his father, because his father forgave a lot of those rebels, if you remember last episode. And under this new duke, Bavaria would be a backwater, as, you know, Swabia is the main territory of this duke, Otto, and Bavaria kind of remains a backwater for a while. Otto II only showed up in Bavaria three times, each time accompanied with an army because of some war or rebellion. I don't know. I always keep track of those things because, like, like, I grew up in Bavaria, so hey. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's just kind of funny. And, of course, then comes a war against France. There's another, <laughs> this is another interesting old German tradition that had already, already existed at this time, as we've seen. As basically, as soon as there was a France and Germany that could fight each other, they did do so. And again, we have trouble with Lothringen, with Lotharingia, or however you say that in English. Otto had troubles in this area before even troublesome Henry's rebellions. And what happened was, or what's happening now in this point is, um, previously his father, Otto Sr., had exiled a count to Bohemia, 
and now Otto II desired a fresh start with the sons of that count. So we have Lombard I and Reginar IV return to Lorraine and were claiming land by force. And they tried again in 976 after a failed attempt in 73, and now we're getting closer to our time period. This time they had the, the support of King Lothar of France. And Otto II appointed Charles, his cousin and brother of Lothar, as Duke of Lower Lorraine. Now, however, Otto's support of Charles, okay, the king's brother, King Lothar of France's brother, infuriated the French king, who thought Otto was, you know, again, fringing on his personal territory. And Charles isn't exactly, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if the story is true or not, but there's a there's an allegation that Charles has an affair with Lothar's wife and is kicked out of... France. I mean, so there's all this, yeah, all this stuff is going on. All this like French, uh, you know, French, France has their own intrigues and court battles and internal strifes. And okay, so Charles shows up at Otto II's court after being accused of like sleeping with Lothar's wife and pays homage to Otto II. And in return, Otto appoints Charles as Duke, as, you know, as promised, it tells him he'll support him in claiming the French throne. So now, as soon as Otto is done crushing the revolt of troublesome Henry in Bavaria, we come back to this. Theophanu and Otto come to the imperial capital of Aachen in Lorraine. Now, at that time in Lorraine, Aachen is really close to the French border, and this kind of just sets everything, like, this is just bad. Um, Lothar invades Lorraine and marches on Aachen. With the French army in sight, Otto and Theophanu have to flee and first to... Um, Cologne, and then on to Saxony. And earlier, if you remember, when I say that Teofano drove Otto and his mother Adelaide apart a bit, maybe you don't remember. Well, here's where it's... It was, it was really towards the beginning. Here's where that's important, though. Upon hearing of the French invasion, Otto's mother, who was Lothair's, you know, mother-in-law also, sided with Lothair over her own son and moved to the court of her brother, who is the king of Burgundy. And Lothar actually moves in and occupies Aachen for five days, just kind of symbolically disgracing the city, not really doing any damage, not, you know, not keeping it or anything, but just letting Otto know that, that it was, you know, he, he, military, he militarily won. Now, soon upon this, in Dortmund, Otto declares war on France and prepares an army to march west. Now we were at the year 978. He, with the help of Charles, invade. And they don't come across a lot of resistance. And they just kind of devastate the areas around Reims and Soissons. And then Otto has Charles crowned as king of France by the Bishop of Metz. And Lothar flees to Paris, where Otto and Charles is hot on his heels and they besiege the city. They have to put a hold on their siege when winter hits. And just to kind of also, for a symbolic victory, just the way Lothar did, he marches up to Montmartre, which at that point was outside the city, celebrates a victory in kind of a W. Bush sort of mission accomplished sort of way, sing hallelujah, and go home. Sickness was already starting to spread through his troops, winter was really setting in, and now Hugh Capet forced Otto to lift the siege on November 30th and get out of there. So, they do. On the journey back, his rear guard is once more attacked, and it kind of, I mean, you know, there was no clear victor. There was, it was just kind of a stalemate. They, no clear battle was even really fought. But Otto felt like his 
honor was sufficiently restored and just kind of opened peace negotiations with the French king. And peace was finally concluded between Otto and Lothair in 980. Okay, now, in return for renouncing his claims on Lorraine, Otto would recognize Lothair's son, Lazy Louis V, as the rightful heir to the French throne. I'm not being mean here, he was Louis the Lazy. That's, okay, never mind. Lazy Louis is also the last Carolingian to sit on one of the Frankian thrones. So, bye-bye. Remember, I just, I mentioned Hugh Capet's name, so now comes the Capetians, officially. Anyways, okay, so with that piece concluded, Otto returns to Aachen to celebrate Pentecost, and then moves towards Nimwegen. Who cares? Well, because it was during this little trip in late June, early July, 980, where the Empress Theophanu gives birth to the return of Otto, or Otto's revenge, Otto III, the one to eventually end the uh, trilogy here. And this is near Kessel in Kleve. All right, so things are going well. He has domestic affairs settled. He had just recently given birth to an heir. Now, remember when I said Pope Benedict VI was murdered in 974? You don't? Okay, well, I said that. Now, Pope Benedict VI was threatened. He fled and asked Otto for help. So the Pope asked the Holy Roman Emperor for help to not lose... Wait, what episode is this? I've, I've said that like four times already in other episodes. Anyways, Otto Jr. focuses his attention from 980 onwards to annexing the whole of Italy into the empire. He puts Villigas, this uh, Archbishop of Mainz, in charge of Germany as regent, basically. And with Teofanu, his infant son Otto III, they cross the Alps. Oh, and with a German army. Let's not forget the German army crossing the Alps. Small detail, small detail. So he brought that too. I should mention that. Um, okay, anyway, so he passes through Pavia. He made up with his mom, the Dowager Empress Adelaide. Remember, like, yeah, anyway, so they kiss and make up. Um, yeah, she's the one that fled to her brother, the King of Burgundy, and they're all good now. In Ravenna, he stopped off to be crowned with the Iron Crown of the Lombards. I did a whole episode on that, so we can skip it. Everyone knows. See how efficient that was? Because you totally know what I'm talking about, and I can just move on. Sweet. Okay, so he restored the Pope to power in Rome in February 981, and stuck around to celebrate Easter. Now, this was actually quite the event. Easter in Rome, 981. Matilda, his sister, the abbess of Quedlinburg, Conrad of Burgundy, his wife, Matilda of France, Duke Hugh Capet of France, and then Duke Otto of Swabia and Bavaria. Remember that guy? Yeah. And the half-cousin he had given those. Yeah, you remember. Okay. It was a real who's who. That's what I'm saying. He set up his capital in Rome and held court there and started to look at those rump Lombard principalities to the south and went on the march because remember he had that nice handy German army. Yeah. So his conquest brought him into conflict with the Byzantine Empire and remember Teofano, okay, yeah. And with also with the Muslims of the Fatimid Caliphate. Now the Fatimids were, that was the Caliphate, they're centered in Egypt, but basically all of North African, the, the North African coast at one point was Fatimid, um, you know, like Muslim territory. They also had Sicily at this point. So this is maybe a bit of foreshadowing to the Crusades a century later. Nah, we're not there yet. So after initial successes in unifying these Lombard principalities, 
and kicking some of the Byzantines out of Italy, his campaign ended in 982 following a bad, bad defeat by the Muslims. Right in the very toe of Italy. It must have been somewhere near where Spartacus's men got slaughtered, somewhere near there. Um, it looked, at first it really looked like he won the battle. He it looked like it was a massive success. They were already getting to the looting part of things when the Muslim reserves showed up and almost completely annihilated the imperial troops. Now, okay, in the history of Germany, here's like a superlative event. That's, that's right now. Pay attention. Otto, the Kaiser himself, had to flee on a Byzantine ship and was definitely in danger. The ship's crew had to resist the temptation of just selling him as a hostage. In fact, they in fact they decided to do that. So he jumped from the ship in a daring escape before re reaching Rosano and swam to shore. Okay, now it was a Jew from a, a famous rich family that helped him escape, gave him a horse, and at this time, I mean, this was noted as a remarkable defeat, like no Kaiser had ever up until that point, and for centuries, or ever after, really, gotten to that kind of danger. Well, okay, Franz, Franz Josef, uh, well, no, that was Archduke, right? Yeah, anyways. So, no, I mean, just wow. This was like so, so close to death or being captured, that was crazy. The Muslims didn't really press their advantage, they just went back to Sicily. Okay, now... Otto did escape. The, the chroniclers are like very quiet about what he was doing for like six months. He must have been just licking his wounds and totally embarrassed because uh, that was bad. That was that was really bad. And instead, uh, now there's a Slavic uprising. As soon as he headed south, the Slavs were like, oh, well, screw this. And it was a, it was a big uprising. Actually, it's called the Great Slav Uprising. And this kind of brought the empire, it made the empire smaller in real terms because anything east of the Elba was basically abandoned. The Slavs went back to pagan ways. This is going to be a different episode. I'm going to do an episode on the on the Vens. So I'm going to do that much more justice, all of this much more justice because, you know, I haven't really described the Slavs living in the empire at all yet. There's a reason for that. That's coming. Okay. So anyways, Slavs are uppity. Meanwhile, in Venice, what? Okay, hold on. There's a reason. You think I'm jumping from like uh, Bohemia, okay, Bavaria to Bohemia to Denmark to France to I don't even remember what, but we had uh, the Slav uprising, Muslims in southern Italy. Okay, Venice, right. So this is all chronological. You just have to bear with me. I, I got accused on iTunes of jumping around, but no, there's a there's a method to the madness. So hold on. So a rivalry between two families, Venetian families, a pro-Otto Coloprini family and the pro-Byzantine Morosini. This suddenly becomes, this rivalry suddenly becomes important because these families had even struggled over what Pope sits on the throne. And again, uh, in those circles of politics, like papal Vatican circles, you get the German king involved. In fact, I mean, Otto was in Rome at this time. So, okay, Coloprini calls Otto, and Otto comes and besieges Venice. Twice. Now, the second time happened in 983, where we are chronologically. Okay, so you see how that mattered? Okay, cool. So, because Otto marches now to Venice, I just wanted to add a bit of context. 
The second siege does a lot of damage to the city. People were really getting ready for the next chapter of Venetian history as part of the Holy Roman Empire. As part of Germany, the ruling families of the city were completely split in the siege, and Otto dies. Otto II died suddenly in 983 at the age of 28 after a 10-year reign of something stupid like fever, malaria-ish perhaps. Man, I feel like this is deja vu. Anyways, even though the doctor supposedly tried to treat his ma with massive amounts of aloe, like aloe vera type plants, uh, that didn't work. He died. Now, so three-year-old Otto III takes over. This terrible toddler is also a force to be reckoned with, except that he was not at all that, and hence the empire kind of slowly descended into chaos. Uh, well, actually fairly quickly. Now, Otto's sudden death meant he didn't have his tomb in a place that he had built, but rather it's in St. Peter's and was pretty quickly forgotten. So ends the reign of Otto II. In summary, a shortish dude, brave and impulsive, a good knight. He was generous to the church, the red, because either he butchered the most troublesome Roman families at a dinner in 981, that's a, that's a good story, or, or actually probably just because he had a reddish complexion. Okay. Now, he's the only German Kaiser to be buried in St. Peter's. Upon his death, Bishop Volkmar of Utrecht, if that name sounds familiar, that's the bishop that had Troublesome Henry in prison. He now released him from his uh, custody, and with three-year-old Otto on the, on the throne, well, first of all, three-year-old uh, three Otto had already been appointed king of the Romans, um, Previously, at Christmas, Teofanu had him crowned by the Mainz Archbishop Villigus at the Aachen Cathedral. Villigus is the, remember, he's the guy that's kind of running Germany anyways while Otto was in Italy. Okay, now the troublemaker, Henry Heinrich Diazenka, and the Archbishop of Cologne, Wagen, actually sees Otto, his nephew, really, sees Otto III in 984 when he's like three or four years old, while Teofanu was still in Italy. This is, this was like reenacted on a German documentary, I just need to say, because it was, that's, it's great, it's great. Uh, anyways, so he was, he, he did, like, he kind of backed out and he gave the kid back to Teofanu, crisis averted. Um, he didn't, he didn't quite want to deal with the consequences of actually rebelling again so quickly. And yeah, I mean, after what happened last time. Anyways, Teofanu rules. She is, uh, Teofanu officially takes over Regency. This is why, well, one of the reasons I mentioned her last episode and again this episode, another way one could see history is that Teofanu ruled this whole time as Empress. So Teofanu just continues her, her rule. Um, Otto the second, you know, her husband dies and she just keeps on keeping on. That's not quite accurate because uh, Otto the second clearly made the decisions and the reforms and everything. And yeah, anyways, but, but Teofono, you know, there's no real break in her reign. She's still Empress and she rules another six years, including the, the lands of Italy and Lotharingen. She was able to negotiate a peace with Troublesome Henry's former supporter, Duke Mieszko of Poland. So that's how, yeah. And, you know, by doing that, she was a successful regent. She didn't, she didn't lose the empire really. And that's pretty neat. Um, but then she got sick, uh, this kind of, yeah, like she got ill in 19, in 988 and that damaged her health, um, permanently basically. And she eventually died in 990 in Nimwegen, 
And she's buried at the church of St. Pantaleon, or near Vitum in Cologne. And on her eulogy, it was said that she protected her heir with male vigilance. She was friendly with all of those who were honest, but with terrifying superiority against rebels. Now, she's dead. Okay, this is where Adelaide of Italy supposedly says <laughs> that, thank God that Greek woman's dead. Anyways, okay. So now Adelaide of Italy, Otto I's wife, takes over. This, she is now, she, she's ancient. I don't know, everybody is dying so quickly. I guess she's probably not that old. I guess I could just relook this up really quick. But uh, anyways, Adelaide takes over. And until Otto III is old enough to rule. And Otto, so when this happens, he's like, what? He's like eight or nine. Okay, but not quite there yet. Now, Otto III had a twin sister who died at birth. This is not often mentioned because it really doesn't matter. But I thought it was interesting because at least that's what they told the father, Darth Vader. I mean, Otto this. Okay, wait. Okay, but okay. Anyways, he really was born with a twin sister, but she died. He was crowned, as usual. Now, an interesting, I'm not going to go over all that again. Uh, he was crowned in Aachen, as, you know, that's that's like the norm now, that thing that Charlemagne started. Anyways, okay. So Otto I was just Imperator. Otto II was crowned Imperator Romanorum. Otto III was crowned Romanorum Imperator Augustus. So every time it's a little bit more pompous and they're, they're getting more confident like that we're the real, we're the Augustan Kaiser, uh, you know, Caesar. Uh, we are the Roman emperor. So they're the, this, this is what I wanted to emphasize. Otto II was, you know, ruling from Rome. Like Italy was more, you know, he left Germany to a regent and he ruled Italy. Okay, so that's like, wow, he's really, they really believe themselves as, at least nominally <laughs> to others, uh, as Roman emperors. Who's already elected uh, king north and south of the Alps? At least so says the propaganda, because uh, Hein, you know, the troublesome Henry might have been causing trouble. So they're like, no, 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 he's already crowned. Just don't even worry about it. Henry the troublesome Henry finally kneels before five-year-old Otto the Third, um, and it's in this time when we go from Carolingian to Hugh Capet. By the way, like just. Bam, that just happened. And also Otto's mother is a Byzantine princess as well as the queen and empress still kind of, except that we, she just dies. And during this, I mean, it's kind of, you know, the, this dynasty change in France is just barely even noticed. Like Germany's doing good. They're, 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 they're stable. And there's another st story a couple of years later here of Bruno of Carinthia, who becomes... Pope Gregory V, who's the grandson of Emperor Otto I. This is like a crazy interesting story also. He's the first German pope, and this pope was tied so closely to the Ottonians that he also had to contend with an anti-pope chosen by those who don't like the close ties with the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, um, yeah, I, I want to get Steve Guerra on the show again, and we'll talk about all that stuff, the, the, this stuff, the anti-popes, and there's just deep rabbit holes. Um, I've written some of that stuff down already, but anyways, okay. Otto III eventually comes of age. His rule is also much more south of the Alps-centric than his predecessor, or just stays that way, because remember now, uh, his mother is Greek, you know, a Byzantine princess, and his grandmother is Adelaide of Italy. So, yeah, why would he, why would he even be in Germany? So he, he's just more, he's just more of an Italian uh, ruler. 
one Roman rebellion, because this kind of happens, um, and even because of this uh, Bruno from, from Corinthia, from Canton, in one rebellion they had a Roman prefect uh, beheaded and his body hung from the Monte Mario. Anti-Pope John XVI had his t clothes torn off from his body and they sat him on a dunk donkey backwards and, uh, you know, ran him through the streets, jeering and finally, like, cutting out his eyes and nose and tongue and ears. And uh, so the, the, there, there was stuff happening with popes and um, German kings and this thing at, at this time. That's that's kind of my point here, <laughs> um, especially because, yeah, I mean, they were, they were in Rome at the time. So the history of Rome becomes important. It is also Otto III who finally does build an imperial residence in Rome again. So really, like, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he reintroduced Roman-style seals on documents. This this high Middle Ages. I'm going to, okay, I, I don't know if it'll be next episode or if I'm going to crunch it all together somehow, but I do want to get to um, the Ottonian style and the Ottonian sort of renaissance and everything that, that happened because you would recognize the difference between Carolinian and, and this, like in manuscripts and uh, yeah. So anyways, um, it's, it's also the third that brings us all back. And upon his mother's influence, he reintroduces this very Byzantine half circle table with his own position raised. So if you see that, that's like a very uh, like Constantinople Greek thing that he brings back. And there's this is the time of Stephen of Hungary, which is like in the history of Hungary. Like he ends up being a saint. We've mentioned him on Bohemian also. He's friends with Stephen of Hungary. And he names another another German pope for just a year or two becomes uh, Pope Sylvester II, which, who's his former teacher in 999. And in 999, they must have partied like it's 1999 because the world was about to end. You see, it all started in the 70s. The problem started because both mainframe computers and later PCs, like personal computers, storage was really like costly. And so because of that, coders tried to save space wherever they could. And an easy way to do that was just use a two-date year format instead of a four-month. So instead of like saying 0999, they just said 99. Now when the date flipped, they didn't know if they were talking about the year 1000 or the year 9... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's the Y2K bug. Okay, this is the Y... Okay, wait, this is... To oh, sorry, this is totally different. This was much more biblical. Like, the second coming of Christ would happen after a thousand years. And now, really, it's not like everybody thought the world would end on December 31st. 999 because not everybody agreed when the new year was was it you know january 1st was it christmas eve a lot of people thought it was like christmas is when the year starts really uh, in the middle ages or in the spring i mean it was still like it wasn't really that special i mean 999 wasn't much more special than any other year because people always thought the end was nigh and the world was going to end kind of all the time uh, so people didn't really go off selling their belongings and gather at churches on New Year's Eve like some popular tales would have you believe. This year alone wasn't really a precursor to the Crusades because of, yeah, but, but, yeah, I mean, there was religious fervor in general, I would say. Anyways, I just wanted to clear up that people will mention, why didn't you talk about millennialism? Eh, it's because it's uh, over-exaggerated, actually, historically. That's why. Okay, anyways. So, just like the Y2K problem. Haha, <laughs> fancy that. In the year 1000, though, what is interesting is that Otto III, this is the year when he has Charles the Great exhumed. In the year 1000. Now, supposedly he finds Charles the Great's not as 
dead, like decomposed, but sitting, untouched by decomposition, and his scepter still in his gloved hands. Instantly, they fell to their knees and honored the great Kaiser. Now, they found his nails had broken through his gloves, so they trimmed his nails. Then they they put a piece of his nose back or something that was missing, like, so they gave him, like, a Tijo Brahe uh, prosthetic. They pulled a tooth of the great Kaiser and then walled up the entrance to his tomb again. I kid you not, my friends. That... That happened, apparently. Now, Otto III really sees himself as a universal Roman emperor. I mean, he must have thought pretty highly of himself if he's going to exhume the remains of Charlemagne. But anyways, yeah, definitely, he, I mean, he's a king over all kings. This is why I wanted to really, really clarify the relationship with Rome, uh, you know, for the thousandth time. Going to Charlemagne's grave at 1000 AD and putting a gold cap on his nose and cutting his nails and feeling pretty comfortable with the thought of that he's a Roman emperor, Kaiser, Caesar, yeah. Otto III, therefore, is just one more milestone to understanding the Holy Roman Empire, so it's important to emphasize this. Like Napoleon would exhume bodies. I, I, yeah, this was like a thing. So Otto III, yeah, this is the beginning of a really odd tradition. This is also the time where Romanesque architecture was a big thing, the first pan-European building-style fad since the Romans, which is cool. I mean, like, the French and Germans were doing the th same thing as the Italians, and yeah, so Saxons very much thought that they were in. Like, they were cool. And this Romanesque style that developed into the Gothic architecture a little bit later, we're kind of, we're not quite there yet in the story. It's, it's the Ottonian Saxon dynasty where we see churches that are not Roman, but have vaults and are somehow trying to be Roman. That's, that's the point I want to make. More importantly is that in this time, the church in Poland receives more autonomy. Okay, now here's another Bohemian crossover thing. Adalbert of Prague, and check, he's Wojtek, that's where that name comes from. I don't know why it's so different, but Adalbert of Prague in February or March of the year 1000, Otto from Rome, does a pilgrimage to Gnesen, which is, is the Polish city of Gniezno, and really like a pilgrimage. Uh, well, at least mostly like a pilgrimage. Uh, the biggest reason was pilgrimage. He wanted to go to the grave of Adalbert. Adalbert, just three years prior, had been murdered, martyred, if you will, by Prussian, um, and I mean, they were he was beaten to death by Prussian um, these were pagans. So old Prussians are, is a Baltic or Slavic peoples, not a German peoples like the 19th century Prussians, okay? Old Prussian was not a Germanic language. So these pagan Prussians beat up Adalbert of Prague, uh, killed him. And so Otto went to Gniezko to see the tomb of Adalbert, and then he returns to Rome in the year 1001, just in time for another rebellion in Rome where he has to flee. And he's, so he flees Rome and he's about to get his military recruitments and march back into the city when that SOB, he just dies. Like a total loser of like fever, like his dad, like what, whatever. I'm just, they took his body to Aachen where you can see his tomb, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? I'm, I'm mad, right? This is about to get good. Okay, so Alto the Third. When of age goes to Rome, visits the German Pope V and is crowned Kaiser, founds Gnieszko, Kohlberg, Krakow, Breslau. A lot of those are uh, German city or uh, Polish cities today. And I'll continue exactly where I left off next time. 
but for this time, that's probably good. We have one more Saxon king, one more Ottonian king, Henry II. Not the troublesome Henry, uh, different, different, yeah, okay, anyways. Henry II is in Henry I was Henry the Fowler, yeah. Um, now, Henry II, I'll get to in the next episode, because I don't just want to talk about him. There's some interesting stuff here. I don't want to, like, go through it too fast, but I also want to tie the Saxon dynasty up in a nice bow by giving you an, an overview of the Ottonian dynasty, kind of what it was like at the time and the church and some of the other reforms and like a lay of the land instead of just year to year and what, what Ottos did. Um, so we'll do that next time and then tie up this dynasty in a nice neat bow and that way give you an overview of Germany up until... Um, the 1020s or whenever Henry dies, I don't know. Yeah, 1024. Um, and that, and then after this, I'll have I'll stop the mini series because then I want to mention I want to talk about things like Ashkenazi Jews or Yiddish or uh, then the you know the Crusades are happening soon, um, and then we'll we'll move on to other mini series after that. So there's a yeah. I mean now we're we're getting into the High Middle Ages. So suddenly we have a lot more sources and we have a lot more stuff to which means we have a lot more stuff to talk about um but yeah just there's just more history kind of uh, seeming to to happen and more stories to tell so we have to slow down in our pace a little bit uh but still i will you know you like i'll still have chronological episodes where i go from king to king to some degree and and just so you're caught up with all the dynasties and the holy roman empire uh as it goes on to germany okay so i'm next time on the history of germany podcast We'll end the miniseries. Meanwhile, I know it's been a while. The reason that that's been, and I've been getting emails, which is why I figured I better put something out quick, is that uh, people are sending me more and more emails wondering if I, like, what happened. Um, but yes, the, yeah, no, the show's going on. I took the summer off to write a book. Book is now done. It's being edited. It is about uh, Prague in the 1600s or so. Yeah, al alchemical magic Prague kind of uh, time. So that book will be out soon. And that means, so then we'll have history of alchemy episodes about it. And we'll have Bohemian episodes about it. And of course that's the, you know, we're talking about a Habsburg ruler. So eventually all that stuff will come to the history of Germany too. So anyways, book is written and done. The next several episodes are written. In the meantime, if you want to go listen to more of my stuff right now, there's um, I don't think I've put links up yet, but there's a Dark Myths podcast now. on. You can find it on iTunes. And I, I've been on the Agora podcast. I talked with Royfield Brown and, and some others about Brexit right, right after it happened. That's on the Agora feed. On the Dark Myths feed, I was interviewed and I talked with Kristaps about podcasting and, and stuff in general. And uh, that's Kristaps is always, he's always fun to talk to. That's always, those episodes always turn out entertaining. So go listen to that. History of Germany podcast is an Agora podcast member. The podcast of the month is Heather Tesco's English Renaissance podcast, which is awesome. And for other upcoming things, uh, potential live shows, we have all kinds of stuff happening soon. Uh, check podcastnick.com. I have my very first History of Germany t-shirt design out. Um, and there's a couple more coming soon. And definitely, so definitely, so definitely browse through podcastnick.com. That's podcastnik.com now and then to, to see news and what's there because you might miss an event. I might be close to your hometown um, swinging by and, and you might miss it. 
Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, and I'll announce all those things there. So that way you'll keep in the loop if you're, because more and more of that kind of stuff is going to be happening soon, especially next year. So keep an eye out on that. And otherwise, danke fürs Zuhören and bis zum nächsten Mal. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.